This is Comic Geek Speak, episode Separately. I'm Adam Murdo. And I'm Ian Levenstein. Uh, Ian, I heard your voice at the end there. I got chills. <laughs> oh, it's just, it's just that NPR voice I just love putting on. <laughs> I'm a big NPR fan, my friend. That, that you, wow, you just... Ooh, you just titillated me a little bit. If, if you were if you were a woman and I wasn't married, holy mackerel. And this episode, we are sponsored by <laughs> viewers like you and the letter C. <laughs> <laughs> How's everybody doing tonight, gentlemen? I love when we get a little creepy. That was fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. How's everybody doing tonight? Because creepy, creepy, creepy starts with C. <laughs> <laughs> Um, now that I'm with you, gentlemen, I am just fine. It's been a, a long day, as is often the case in the life of a middle-class family man. But uh, it's good to be here in my basement office cave and commuting with both of you. Here, here. How about you, Mert? Um, uh, seconded? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're not in the cave. You're on the second floor. Mm. Yes, that's true. That's true. I, I'm in the loft. <laughs> the granary. <laughs> Murd, I trust it's comfortable where you're stationed right now. Uh, well, yes. Yes. It's uh, well, for the moment anyway. Um, uh, the, the barn is heated by a very old-fashioned uh, heating and ventilation system. Um, it's at least a half century old. Of course. Uh, there is a gigantic, like, 40-inch tall... A metal box of a, a heating unit right above my head. It's got the Fetters logo stamped on it. <laughs> uh, it's gas-powered, and uh, I'm kind of obliged to turn it off whenever I'm recording here, because otherwise we'd be hearing all kinds of roaring and clanking and banging and whooshing. And that doesn't make for good radio. <laughs> <laughs> but I trust you're not too frigid, brother. Not yet. Not yet. All right, well, we won't, we won't belabor too long, so we don't want you to become an apopsicle. Uh, by the end of this recording, uh, that's all right. We've so we've got a hard stop built into this one. So indeed, I'll be fine. True to that, brother. It's always good to uh, rally around the campfire for a casual freewheeling comic talk. My fave. So, as listeners know, anything and anything can come up. Anything and everything can come up. I should say, in this format, comic related or otherwise. Well, shall so, we begin with something fairly timely then? Sure, please. Go for it. Uh, did you guys see the Academy Awards ceremony the other night? I did. Bits and pieces. Mm. And, well, it was, uh, it, it was a night of interest to comic book fans because uh, for the first time a comic book-derived movie was up for uh, Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Sure was. And uh, it won three Oscars. If I remember correctly, Costumes, which was 
that was that that was a no brainer. My God. Yep. Um, I think production design also a no brainer. Mm-hmm. And I want to say score. I think that is correct. Yep, best yeah, original okay. score. And uh, well, I didn't expect Black Panther to win Best Picture. Um, the fact that it was nominated, and I mean, nom- you know, had it had a Gus Company up there, um, was a real thrill. And uh, you know, the, the film, let's face it, the film was a cinematic and cultural phenomenon in 2018. So it deserved, I think, it deserved that nomination for that reason alone. Plus, it was, I just thought it was a damn good movie and a tremendous adaptation of the essence of that character. Um, Very true. And uh, I think in some ways even more exciting was one of the best Marvel movies ever made won Best Animated Oscar. Yes. (laughs) Into the Spider-Verse. Well-deserved. Well-deserved. Pretty much nothing. uh, The only other uh, thing on that that list uh, for uh, Best Animated that that I would have been okay winning— would have been the uh, the Japanese animated film that was that was there, but uh, the rest were all were all either sequels or just nothing amazing. Mm. And uh, I'd say Into the Spider Verse was amazing, spectacular, and Web of all rolled into one. <laughs> Look at ah, even Todd McFarlane adjectiveless. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you this though, Ian, did you see Isle of Dogs? I did. Yes, and th- that is that is very very well done. Yes, loved Isle of Dogs. Yeah, loved it. Uh, Brian 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 Cranston. I'm on board with Brian Cranston's especially good in that. Oh, he's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Murd, what'd you think of Isle of Dogs? I didn't see it. That's why I was oh. asking. Okay, Murd, I think you'd love it. But yes, yes, it's one that I wanted to see, but I didn't get around to. Um, I also would have very much liked to see Black Klansman, uh, except uh, that was not <laughs> that did not find its way into theaters anywhere in Cape May County, New Jersey, this past summer. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big Spike Lee fan, and um, I'll catch that on, on one of the streaming services because I, I def I usually enjoy his films thoroughly. Um, and uh, this actually the star I didn't realize initially was Denzel Washington's son. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm of course I'm a big fan of the acting of Adam Driver. So yeah, and he was nominated too. Um, Black Klansman is is very well done. I oh you saw it? I okay. did. Yes, I, I saw all but uh, Green Book and uh, Roma. Uh, those are the only two that I had not seen of the Best Picture. Normally, I go to what's called the Best Picture Showcase that AMC puts on Ooh. every year, uh, where they just go ahead and over a two-week period, uh, they show every film that's nominated. But slightly out of protest, this year I did not, because they chose not to show Roma. Um, because, because it's a Netflix film. Exactly. Right. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. And uh, I felt like I wasn't going to get my bang for my buck if I was only seeing you know seven out of the eight. So I, I, I decided not to, and I, I certainly plan on seeing Roma. I have much less inclination to see Green Book uh, just because of the politics behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I will probably see it eventually just to understand why it won. Um, but uh, I enjoy Black Klansman a lot. Um, I, I really enjoyed the, fa- the favorite. That was, I mean, no. I, I heard the favorite was tremendous. No pun intended, that was my favorite. Uh, of uh. the of the bunch, um, absolutely superb. Bohemian Rhapsody was a fantastic performance from Rami Malek, and the rest of it was just a straightforward uh, uh, biopic. So I was a little bit underwhelmed, um, and uh, I feel like I'm missing one there. Oh yeah, and obviously Black Panther's Black Panther. So that's you know beside the point. So uh, that that was that was fantastic and very much deserved to be nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, I I. I... 
really want to see Green Book. I want to, I want to see all these films because I, unlike previous years, I've only seen a couple of the movies that were nominated. Yeah. Um, but uh, Green Book, I want. I realize there's a lot of political controversy around it. Um, you know, the whole like sort of driving Miss Daisy approach to uh, racial issues in cinema. Right. Um, but I really, you know admire the two lead actors in that film same here yeah so uh you know for that reason alone i definitely want to give it a view mm-hmm. um and then you know you know make my judgment accordingly but i know this isn't a uh, film podcast so i'll only i'll only, i'll end it with this ah, it's, it's our it's our hill oh it's no our I, hill beans no and i know. I would have I would have been one hundred percent okay with Green Book had they just simply contacted the damn family. They didn't even do that. They didn't even take the courtesy to like mm. ask the family of the musician in question that Marashala Ali is playing mm-hmm. about his own history. They only went by the by the you know by the by what the driver experienced, and uh, he was only oh, with him for eighteen okay. months, and he was fired. And yet, this was his portrayal of of the man, and it was very much not the man that actually existed from every. Okay, that I, I mean that, that. Well, that that can ex- maybe explain some to some degree. Besides what I mentioned before about sure. the cinematic industry is is the controversy. But yeah. again, that's so typical of Hollywood films. Absolutely. Whether you're talking about a comic book adaptation or an adaptation of history, um, they always. Twist things around, um, and it's interesting because when they do that, here let's let's bring it back to comics for a second. Let's mm-hmm. go back to the Ben Affleck Daredevil film. Oh God! <laughs> and I remember when I went to see that film in the theater. Obviously, I was very excited, being a huge Daredevil fan. The minute they didn't have him save the blind man crossing the street, mm. and they didn't make that actually the reason why he lost his sight. Do you remember? Do you remember what I'm talking about? Uh, yes, I do. Yeah, so I remember watching the movie. I'm like, why did they do that? Like, there there was no, like, what often strikes a lot of these film adaptations, whether comics, history, novels, what have you, is sometimes you understand why they make a certain change. It makes sense for the the narrative or the pacing or whatever it might be. Other times, like, why was that done? Like, there was no reason for that. Like, it didn't. I, I'm always baffled when that happens. Sure. Um, I'm, you know, whatever the politics are behind the scenes, but. Yeah, that's that's. I'm glad you brought that up, Ian, because I, I wasn't aware of that aspect of the story. Yeah. Um, so, you see, ladies and gentlemen, this is why Ian is such a valued member of our cast uh, <laughs> right out of the gate because he brings vital intelligence the rest of us may not be privy to. <laughs> I also would so. have enjoyed had they actually performed all the stars, the uh, the best original song that was nominated for uh, Black Panther. That one did not make it into the show. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, we have uh, exciting movies on the horizon in the comic book world this year. I mean, next month we have well, it's almost next month, Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. which I'm st- I'm stoked for that. Oh, uh, yeah. I didn't realize Annette Bening is playing the Supreme Intelligence. Really? Uh, yes, one of my favorite actors. So, uh, I mean, she's not a big green floating head with like you know Rasta hair. Um, <laughs> she's a humanoid, but uh, very excited for that. And then, of course. Captain Marvel or Shazam, as they're calling it, mm-hmm. and then the end all be all Avengers. So <sighs> it's going to be a good year. It's going to be a good year. Spider Man after that, uh, and and uh, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of good comic book movies to look forward to. Absolutely. So we're in the middle of there. There's Detective Pikachu. New yes. trailer came out today. Oh, I didn't catch that yet. I'll have to watch that mm-hmm. once. Oh, we're that's done. real. I thought that was a joke by Ryan Reynolds. 
Nope, that, that is a movie, movie, Chris. It's a live-action Pokemon movie, mm-hmm. and a few of us are very excited for it. I'm one of them. Ah. <laughs> You're surrounded, Chris. No, hey, it, it is Ryan Reynolds, right? Yes. It is, as, oh, as the I voice see, of Detective Pikachu. I, I would just see it because he's in it. I mean, yeah. come it's, on. I, I know next to nothing about Pikachu, but <laughs> I can learn. Yeah, talk to Bill and Danny. They're they're psyched for it. Uh, well, I I I mean, you know, they're among the the flocks of people you see wandering around, you know, open <laughs> areas like trying to hunt down these things with their phones. Uh, I don't really understand it, but I'm antediluvian. I'm not so. sure. I'm not sure if you're aware, Chris. I used to work for Pokemon, so this is a uh, really. I didn't know Ian. Yes. more of your secret origin, please. <laughs> uh, I was a uh, I was a contractor for them. I I, uh, I worked uh, as their uh, screenshot guy for a bunch of their strategy guides. So I would play through the games and then take screenshots of the uh, of the DS games, uh, which would then wind up in the uh, in the full strategy guides that uh, that Pokemon would put out. Was this a side job, or was it your full time job at this point? It was my full time job at times, yeah. and and, and that other times it was my side job um but uh, i i i did it until they they closed their new york office and that was actually why i was out in seattle for a short time uh which is when uh when adam the last time adam murdo was at uh, emerald city comic-con uh mm-hmm. we, we met up and had dinner because uh, that was that was the time the short while that i was living on the west coast um, How long did you live there? Uh, only for about a six-month period. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I mo- actually, funny enough, I, I moved there right after Thanksgiving and moved back right before Super Show. Because <laughs> I, I remember that was the first, pretty much the first thing I did when I, uh, when I went back was, uh, was head out to Super Show. And uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a very interesting experience. I got my name into a bunch of strategy guides. So if you buy like the Diamond and Pearl era, and uh, Heart Gold and Soul Silver. Uh, you'll see my name in in a, in, a, in a bunch of screenshots. You'll see Raf's name in a couple of screenshots, uh, just because I was able to you know put the names of any of anybody I really wanted in there as the names of trainers that I was trading stuff with. So I'm much most definitely did that. Man, you just Ian. <laughs> First of all, your devotion to the to the show is is always commendable. The fact that you would write a super show, but oh yeah. You're just more colorful and eclectic by the moment, my friend. I try. <laughs> well, Ian, but let's let's segue a moment because I wanted to bring this up with you um, mm-hmm. as to further compliment you. Thanks to your recommendation, I read the first two issues of Marvel Unlimited of the Immortal Hulk. Oh, great! And let me tell you something. Mm-hmm. Again, I can get pretty jaded sometimes with you know some of the the corporate properties and the, the never ending, you know, the fact that. You always know that they're going to be around, or at least in the foreseeable future, and that for me that diminishes the enjoyment of some of the stories sometimes. But then you get a comic like this that thoroughly rejuvenates my love and my faith in in in, in the characters, the concepts of the Marvel Universe. When I read the first issue, the grin in my face was so broad, a Cheshire cat would have been envious. <laughs> Let me tell you something. That I mean, you talk about just getting down to the essence of what makes the Hulk a compelling character and a terrifying concept. And because ultimately, the Hulk is, is is you know, he's he's his legacy is the monster characters of of the Atlas era essentially, mm-hmm. and 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 beyond that, and Frankenstein and so forth. And it's Al Ewing, right? Is that the writer? Uh, correct. Yep. Yeah. He goes right back to that source in a way I haven't seen in years. And 
it's so compelling. I don't want to spoil it for too much for people who haven't read it yet or listening, but it's so compelling. And like you said, Ian, there's such great uh, tips of the hat to the whole sort of universe of the Hulk, let's say. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they mentioned McGee, the investigative reporter who was trying to prove that the Hulk, you know, was still around and. You know, Bruce Banner kind of wandering around. I, I actually heard like the 70s theme in my head <laughs> from the TV show as, as I was, you know, reading uh, the first two issues. Uh, the masterful sort of one and done approach in issue two. I've only read the first two issues, but, you know, which again, many writers can't seem to pull off anymore effectively. Boy, does Ewing do that effectively. Sorry, you use the word effectively three times in a sentence. That's terrible. But anyway, um, and again, I've always been a fan of Joe Bennett's artwork. Never better here. His Hulk is so frightening. Like in that first issue when you're in that biker gang hangout and the huge green hands come bursting through the wall. Remind me of the great Steranko rendering of the Hulk back in the classic Silver Age Captain America issues he appeared in. Um, I will be devouring the series, uh, you know, whatever issue, because I'm, I'm way behind. So whatever issues they put up online and then from there. But uh, without question, one of the most exciting books Marvel's producing right now. So, Just from the first two issues I read. So glad you enjoyed it and so glad you read it. Oh, I, I, I'll i be reading issues three and four tomorrow during my <laughs> enormously tedious lunch duty at school. <laughs> so, um, yeah, man, because I think they only have one through four up on the online so far. Yeah. Um, but And I meant to ask because I'm, I'm really new to Marvel Unlimited. How What's the lag time between when a book debuts in the stands and it appears on the site? Because I didn't know. It's about six months. Um, six months, yeah, okay. Give or take. Sometimes you'll see things show up a little bit uh, earlier than that, but uh, in general, it's about six months. Well, I, I've I haven't done much digital comic reading because I'm such I'm such a you know still a, a fan of the traditional format. But again, and, and when, when you know money comes into play, and I, I can't buy all the books I'd like to read, it's just it's just too much. But um, I may be switching to this, not for everything, but more and more because. Uh, especially for stuff I want to catch up on. And when something as exciting as, as Immortal Hulk, I mean, I'll probably go right for the trades once I'm done with whatever they have online because I want to read these stories that badly. I want to devour the series. <laughs> I mean, I, I want to be like like a foreign animal just wallowing with glee and like the, the, you know, the mud. I mean, it's – oh, that's – again, what, it just shows what comics can still do. Uh, tremendous. And, and just just for a bit of uh, of comparison, uh, they just put up Avengers number six, and that was published on August twenty second. So that that'll that'll tell you about uh, how what the lead time is. For okay. Limited. Well, that if you don't want, if you don't guys don't mind me hogging for a moment because you just gave me another nice segue. No, go ahead. I I just caught up on Avengers. I just read the last three issues. I think it was eleven, twelve, and thirteen. Um, and Mer, did you nom- did you nominate Avengers? I did. Yes. Yes. Best ongoing. And deservedly so because. What Jason Aaron is doing in that title, for me, he's really – he's returning to the, the sheer greatness of the Avengers and how powerful and important they are in the Marvel Universe. For Pete's sakes, their headquarters now is the, is the corpse of a celestial. Um, wait, hold on. The celestials. And <laughs> what Aaron gets so well is not only the epic scope of the team but also the necessity of reminding us that they are individuals and that they have – Lies and how important their their interpersonal dynamic is. He never he never lets that go. Some Avengers stories can get so epic, you kind of for you kind of lose the characters depending on who's writing the book over the years. But this he has a perfect balance. Let me tell you something. Issue twelve 
agents of Wakanda. So what's wonderful here is that Aaron just gets the essence of the Black Panther because the Black Panther is now the chair chairperson of the Avengers. So it's it's vintage T'Challa. He goes, all right, so we got the Avengers, but we really need a support infrastructure to do all the dirty work for the main teams. We can kind of put the team where it needs to be, but we, we need these other agents to get them to that point. So he assembles this fantastic sort of menagerie of um, – Lester's not the right term, but you know, let's call them you know not marquee characters who are going to do sort of all like the the intelligence gathering, the espionage, so the Avengers can fully carry out their missions. It is so perfectly captures the, the essence of what the Black Panther is all about, and just makes perfect sense that he's doing this now when he's running the Avengers because that's something he would do. I mean, you know, and. It, Oh, I, I won't. I won't go into too much again. Not to spoil, but it's such a perfect way to use the Black Panther in the Avengers, and I, I'm just loving that title. Uh, and that's that's not a book I'll be waiting for digitally. I'll be getting that every month in paper format because I cannot wait. <laughs> well, I look so. forward to catching up on that. I, I have to I have to start that series, which I am very much looking forward to. I have the first trade digitally, so I'll be reading through that soon, and uh, we'll. Certainly want to catch up the minute that they do a sale on Comixology because they they often do for more recent stuff for ninety nine cents a pop and I might mm. be a week or two uh, you know a month or two behind when that happens but I'll always be pretty close. And last thing, and then I'll, I'll stop hogging. Um, it's just it's on my mind. I noticed several people in the forums were talking about a book I was not familiar with called The Highest House. And. I think Eric Nolan Weatherton mentioned it. Some other listeners, they said, oh, this should have been nominated. So, all right, so I went online to, to check it out. I didn't realize it was written by Mike Carey, which hmm. th that's reason enough. And his co the, the co-creator is the artist, I, I want to say, is it Peter Gross? The guy I did the book Unwritten with. And when I saw that team and I read the concept, I went in stock trades and ordered the trade immediately. So... You know, once I get that, I'll read it and I can talk about it on the air because, you know, when people whose opinions I respect on the forums are saying, like, this book is like one of the best books of 2018, that piqued my interest. Then when I saw who was actually involved in the book, I was like, oh, God, I, I'm, I'm, I'm derelict in my duty here. So, uh, well, I'll be talking about that down the road. Uh, can you give us a sneak preview of the premise, Chris? Uh, I remember, I don't have it in front of you. If I remember correctly, it is about, it's like a subtle alternate future of like – is it 16th century or 15th century, the Balkans? Something like that where there's like a a society where uh, it, it's built on slavery and, and like the, the, the overlords of the society kind of live in, in like the pinnacle of it. And it follows these two characters, uh, one who's like a young slave and the other I, – I may be butchering this because I don't have it in front of me. The, the other is like this mysterious prisoner in, in like the – stronghold of the overlords and how uh their relationship leads to you know sort of upheaval in in this society so i did not do it a good justice there but from what i read which and from who's involved in it this is a book i have to read as soon as possible you're not too far so, off uh, chris uh, with your uh, oh, description terrific. i'm looking at the uh, at the official description for highest house number one right now uh, as you stated, the careers behind The Unwritten, Mike Carey and Peter Gross, invite you into the highest house, the story of a slave boy named Moth, who makes friends with a powerful entity called Obsidian that promises advancement and happiness. Clearly, Obsidian has a hidden agenda, but Moth has ambitions and plans of his own. Well, did I think guys read Unwritten? 
Oh, uh, I, I, you know, I never finished it, but mm. I, uh, I've read about three fourths of it. You know what, Ian? I'm exactly in the same boat you are. I read about three fourths <laughs> of it, um, but, but it, I mean, I loved it. What did you think of it? Oh, uh, it, it was one of my favorite series as it was coming out. Yeah, uh, yeah. I gave up. I gave up around the uh, the the, cro- the quote unquote crossover with fables. Um, that's that's around where I stopped reading, and I I, I still have the issues lying around uh, that I should uh, I should get back to someday. But uh, I, I loved it as it was coming out. Yeah, me too. So. The, again, the people recommended it. The description, the creators. I mean, I'm I'm going to be reading the, certainly the first traits, and I believe it's an IDW publication, correct? Uh, highest House is IDW. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So I, I just wanted to acknowledge that because when you know people, so a lot of people were talking about it on the forums. So I felt you know we, I got to give this a read. Well, I can, so it's actually a good uh, an even uh, gooder segue. Yes, I were <laughs> yes I intentionally used the word gooder. Uh, into IDW uh, as uh, a big amount of comic news came out this week that Usagi Yojimbo is jumping ship to IDW. Uh, wow. For years, it's been with Dark Horse. Yes. And uh, Stan Sakai is moving it over to IDW with, uh, with a new number one. Uh, and uh, it's uh, starting off with a three-part story set in Edo period Japan. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's back in the same house as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles now for the first time in years. I am ashamed to say I've never read one issue of that book. I've read at least two. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I've heard nothing but good things. I mean, I'm a, obviously a huge fan and student of feudal Japanese history. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think Brian Deemer's always praised Usagi Ojimbo, if I remember correctly. Yep. He absolutely has. And if we're here, he'd probably be, you know, reprimanding me verbally as only he can in his singular way. So, um, yeah, that's – any reason – any reason why? I, I'm feeling bad for Dark Horse. They've lost Star Wars. They've lost mm-hmm. Conan. And now they've lost Usagi Ojimbo. So any background news on that, Ian, or – uh, nothing that I can really see. Uh, I, I, I think it might just be as simple as he wanted it to be in the same house as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles again, because, uh, okay. you know, back in the day, uh, Usaki Yojimbo did do crossovers with the turtles. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, in fact, actually, if I remember correctly, Usagi showed up in the eighties animated series. Oh, you absolutely do remember. Oh, wow. Yes. And there was even a Playmates Usagi Yojimbo and Space Usagi action figure. Nice. <laughs> Merv, clutch on the toy history. Bravo, brother. Well, yes, that's that's uh, now Matt and I uh, at that phase in our late childhood were very very keyed into that uh, sort of thing. Those developments. So, somewhere, Raphael Suhu is smiling just even with mm-hmm. the reference to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But uh, yeah, I no. Hope so. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no. So that that may very well be the reason, uh, Chris. Uh, it's not entirely given in the uh, press release, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Okay. All right. Well, I hogged up, gentlemen. What else do you guys want to talk about? Uh, well, I, I have a I have a shout out to a uh, to an old forum uh, buddy. Please, uh, Mister uh, Mister Sean Wheatley, uh, otherwise known as Left Coast Love. Uh, sent me some love uh, via message uh, a day or two ago, just, you know, welcome me, me onto the show and uh, just let me know that he's been enjoying uh, 
the show recently and is back on as a, I mean, he's always been a listener, but he's been listening more regularly of late. So mm-hmm. I just, just wanted to give a shout out there to uh, somebody we, uh, we've known and loved in the uh, Konaki Speak community for a while. He doesn't post on the forums so much anymore, but uh, Sean uh, and I have had many a conversation over the years and uh, happy to see that he's uh, still around and uh, that he's uh, given us praise. So just mm-hmm. wanted to give a shout out there. Well, that's much appreciated. And we also have to remember that that we have so many little listeners who never post on the forums, but that doesn't mean that we don't appreciate uh, the, you know, their dedication to the show. Absolutely. So yeah. I'm very happy to hear that uh, we still have Sean on our listeners. I, mean, I haven't heard from him in a very long time. Uh, but I do recall that for a while there, uh, he had a cross-country aerial commute. Yep. And uh, our podcast was one of the things he used to use to pass the hour's worth of uh, flight time he had to fill up. So even if that's not uh, his uh, work situation at the present time, I'm glad he's still finding some time to, to listen to us. He's He's been doing that a little bit more lately. Uh, he has a uh, I know that he has a client that takes him from, uh, from his uh, left coast location over to uh, the New York area somewhat uh, – not some not not very often, but occasionally. And uh, I know we almost met up one time. He was in uh, New York City, but didn't quite wind up. So hopefully it'll happen the next time. So would not surprise me if he's still using that as podcast opportunity. Mm-hmm. Terrific. Uh, I've uh, actually uh, Murd, uh, You want you you got something you want to shoot up? Oh sure, might as well. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, you know, most of my uh, comic reading is of a uh, uh, slightly older vintage than what we uh, prefer to talk about here on the show. Save that for the uh, Time Bubble spinoff. Um, oh. But I did get something out of my most recent uh, discount comic book service shipment that I decided I'd bump to the top of the uh, to-read pile. Uh, it's, it came in trade form, so that makes it easier for it to you know, uh, jump the turnstile, as it were, and... Uh, <laughs> Get right up to the top. Um, it's uh, the first traded volume of Southern Bastards. Oh, yes. Jason Aaron, Jason Latour. Oh, murder. I'm envious of that journey. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, off to a rollicking, rocky start. Um, uh, so it's it's it collects the first four issues of that series, um, and it, it's one of those oh, budget priced. Uh, yep. Initial trade, you know, that uh, kind of a. a an initial hook, a loss leader uh, for Image to, you know, just o- only the first hit is cheap, as it were, which, which is a, a good uh, marketing plan, I've always thought. Um, it cost only nine ninety nine cover price, um, which cool. DCPS was only like five bucks in some sense, and uh, certainly uh, the amount of enjoyment I got out of the trade was uh, worth that much to me. Um, now, now tell me, guys, do you know if that series is uh, com- officially concluded? Because having done a little uh, uh, background reading, I found that uh, the, the last issue of that was number 20, which was published nearly a year ago. I think it's on hiatus. Uh, I, I want to say yes to hiatus because I've read every issue. And granted, it's been a while. I don't – and I, if someone can correct me if I'm wrong on the forums. I feel like the book was not formally ended. Yeah. Um. And I'm going to make an educated cast, considering all the work Aaron's done for Marvel. Maybe he had to put it on the back burner for a little while. I don't know. Yep. Um, but believe me, Mulmer, what'd you think of it? Uh, well, it, it did kind of have me at the edge of my seat. I mean, it's it, it's fine. Well, it would have if I hadn't been reading it in bed, I should say. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's good Southern fried uh, crime and suspense. 
Um, it's the tale of a grizzled old Vietnam met vet who uh, returns after a extended absence, uh, running up to about 40 years, uh, to his home area of Craw County, Alabama, a place he swore he'd never return to. He, he left it years ago to get away from it, from his troubled relationship with his father, the ex-sheriff. And he's just uh, lived the rest of his life uh, in the faraway big city of, Al- of uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Finally goes back there to uh, clean out uh, his uh, his old family home and gets immediately sucked into just you – know, there's just a powerful gravitational pull to the area in which one grew up. And uh, not everyone is able to escape that pool, that pull. Not everyone even really tries. Uh, but uh, he finds – he goes back there. He finds that it's even more corrupt and violent and, and just – there's something very dirty going on in, in Craw County. And uh, so he he finds himself kind of inexorably drawn into his father's legacy, his father's role as order keeper and lawman. And and, and I'm, I'm saying most of this for the, the benefit of the listeners, of course, who might not have read the series. Indeed. But there, there's that one moment fairly near the end of the first arc where there's a twist of fate just fraught with – Arthurian symbolism, in which he realizes that uh, it's pointless to continue resisting. He has to take up his father's work of uh, trying to clean up this uh, one-horse county uh, from the dark forces uh, that are – and when I say dark, I'm not talking about anything supernatural or demonic. I'm just talking about uh, base human problems, specifically uh, southern United States human problems mm-hmm. because this is written very much as a uh, a meditation by uh, both Jasons, Aaron and Latour, on the complex and conflicted feelings of love and hate, devotion and repulsion that they feel about the American South where they both grew up. Um, so that they're writing as as Southern natives. You know, I'm reminded of the words that Southern writer Carson McCullers once spoke, saying that she had to periodically return to the South just to, as she put it, renew her sense of horror. And uh, that's kind of what Aaron and Latour are doing vicariously through this series. Um, uh, so here, here we find the main character, Earl Tubb, embracing this uh, sense of horror and uh, t- taking up arms against it in the end. Um, but then there's this magnificent twist, and you guys both know what I'm talking about. This, yes. Uh, this received a lot of attention from the voters in our Best of 2014 awards. Hard to believe that was you know four years ago now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the, the big twist at the end of the first arc uh, suddenly sends uh, the rest of the story off in a different and unexpected direction. It's like a Game of Thrones season one kind of twist. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> So it's it leaves me wondering what's going to happen next. I assume that we're going to get uh, in the next the next arc is going to be well was called when it was first published Gridiron. That's a title of the second trade, and, um, and which is a reference to the importance of football to to life and culture in the American South, especially in the small town rural areas, and uh, it's certainly central to life in Craw in fictitious Craw County, and. Uh, so I guess what we're gonna, what I'm going to see in the next trade, which you know, a lot of people have already seen because it's been out for a few years, uh, I guess we'll be seeing an exploration of Craw County. You know, it's a clever choice of name because Craw means like a digestive organ found in certain animals. So when uh, the main character goes back there, he's literally, he's well, figuratively entering the belly of the beast. Um, so I guess now we get to see said beast belly from the point of view of its residents, and as uh, he had explored uh, more or less. Uh, in their terms, kind of a bastard's eye view of uh, of what this place and then life there is like. Uh, but it, it's not something I was – well, I'm happy to say that I was able to suppress my memories of uh, 
of that uh, big twist at the end of the arc, which was nominated for Best Cliffhanger or Moment of 2014. Uh, I remembered the, the, vaguely the nature of the twist, but I didn't remember which characters were involved in it. So it still came as something of a surprise to me. And you, you notice I'm, I'm being careful here not to divulge the specific oh, yes. of the twist, just for, for the benefit of those who, like me, haven't uh, come around uh, to reading the story in its entirety yet. Uh, but it, it, was, it was very suspenseful. It's uh, just dripping with local color. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by this dark world peopled by its... <laughs> uh, uh, one hopes somewhat exaggerated characters. Um, and, uh, well, I would like to read a little bit more, but I will say that uh, the twist, as well thrilling and unexpected as it was, also creates kind of an ideal jumping-off point, mm. uh, should, I choose, should I have chosen not to, to, to read any further. Um, but, you know what, I'm interested enough in this world that I think I will come back, at least for the second trade, which is also cover price nine nine ninety nine. Uh, so if I happen to find that, uh, if it's offered through DCBS at uh, the usual you know, uh, generous discount, or if I find it at a con or something, or find single issues at the con, I, I definitely want to read just a, a little further at least. Oh, Mert, I highly recommend you do. Um, I mean, the book is brutal. Uh, I mean, I don't, you know, let's let's not beat around the bush when it comes to that. I mean, it, you know, it, it's a, I mean, I, I can't do any better than the magnificent and, you know, masterful critique you just gave, but... Um, sure. When it comes to discussions of sort of legacy and how choices you make uh, that can haunt you for the rest of your life and how they can affect you know the people that come after you, I mean this this story takes that head on. And uh, as you mentioned, and, and this is a never, you can't overstate this. At the core of this world that Aaron has created is football. And because one of the main characters is the high school coach, who's almost treated like a demigod, essentially, um, in, in the community. And, and just, you know, the, the, the consequences for, for different people in the town because of the place the team and the coach has in that community. Um, it's one I think is one of Aaron's best works. And that's saying something because I love pretty much everything the man has done. So definitely check it out and I, I think ian is right and someone corrects the forms if we're wrong i'm pretty sure the book is not done yet it's not yeah uh yeah. jason aaron has tweeted as much saying that uh you know that that he's definitely has a lot more to come on this it's just i think like you said chris he has op other obligations at the moment that take priority but he will definitely be returning to this when the opportunity arises and, and murd at the moment on amazon volume two is only five dollars and 79 cents huh so uh, it may, maybe can't get much better than that. Exactly. Maybe worth getting sooner than later. Yeah, and, so. I, and is there anything there about Southern Bastards being optioned for television? I had heard about that at some point. I thought I had too. Okay. Yeah, but I haven't heard any further developments on it. So because it might, on might the be right network, it would make a hell of a TV show. Oh yeah. Uh, if, if if they don't if they don't you know you know kind of go milk toast on it and really go right to the essence of it and don't compromise. The spirit of the story it could be it could be oh i get so the feeling compelling. that right network would be amc i or fx uh because from the looks of things that's who was developing it i don't know whether or not it's gone anywhere since but uh back in 2015 fx were the ones to pick up the rights okay well murder I'm, gl I'm glad you enjoyed it um yeah i love that book oh it's so good as our friend Rainbow Cloak used to say, I got a little south in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and, and because of you mentioning Game of Thrones, all I can think of now is King of the South. 
Okay, here's the thing about Game of Thrones, because I'm so late to that party. I finally started watching that show over the summer. Wow. So I, I got the season one reference. I'm only in, in the midst of season three right now. Okay. So I have a long way to go, and I'll probably watch more of it this summer when I have more time. Um because I just get little bits and pieces right now, but and I'm, plus right now I'm focusing on actually. If you guys don't mind, let's talk about the Punisher a little bit on on Netflix. Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. You can go right ahead. Yeah, because um, you know, I, I I'm I'm through ish episode six. I almost said issue episode six, um, of of the newest season. Of course, as we know, Netflix has canceled Punisher and Jessica Jones get one more season. They're going to cancel that show as well. Um, I guess they're they're victims of the, of the streaming wars, so to speak. Yeah. Mm. Um, but let me tell you something, John Bernthal. That man is one hell of an actor. He is. And I actually had an, heard an interview with him just recently on Mark Maron's podcast WTF. It's a fantastic. They go through his whole life and how he became an actor, and you know. But listening to him talk about himself. You realize he completely changes his voice to play the Punisher. Um, like his actual regular speaking voice is nothing really like that at all. Mm. And you, you just further appreciate what what a hell of an actor the guy is. I mean, I've seen him in a variety of movies. You know, Fury, Wolf of Wall Street, um, Sicario, Wind River, so forth. He's a tremendous actor, but his the way he captures Frank Castle, and what it, what he does so wonderfully is he balances. Really, the humanity and the pathos of the character with how incredibly brutal he is. Um, and I, you guys haven't watched season two yet, correct? No, and I haven't even finished season one, to be honest. Oh, okay. Then I'm not, I'm not going to spoil anything at all then. But like I said in a previous discussion, in the first episode of season two, they give you a moment where you think you might actually find, like, quote, a regular life and actually be happy. And for reasons that are not even his doing, it's all wrenched away from him. And uh, and then they take you on that journey. But it, it's, I mean, it, it's such a captivating show. And I, I read a quote from Jerry Conway, the co-creator of The Punisher, where he just he's lauding Bernthal's depiction of the character. Um, and I'd love to, to be able to ask Bernthal, like, you know, which Punisher comics, there's so many Punisher comics now, do you read, like, what did you take away from those comics when you decided your on your interpretation of the character? Um, because he so fleshes out the Frank Castle. I mean, and the best Punisher comics do that. Some are kind of you know more one dimensional shoot 'em ups, but the best Punisher stories really go into the the meat of of, of and the guts of the man, like especially the, all the Garth Ennis stuff. Um, and you so see that in the show. And there are scenes <laughs> like there's one scene without without getting away where he he has to go into a, a He's going into a place where there's a lot of Russian mobsters, and he doesn't even have a gun. And even though he doesn't have a gun, just the way he acts as the character, you know these men are all totally screwed. <laughs> and, you know, it's just it, – I mean, again, they, they don't spare any depiction when it comes to just the brutality of the world of the Punisher. Because, again, there's no superpowers involved, even though he's in the Marvel Universe. It's just this man – his skills and his just unbreakable will and his ability to just, just absorb enormous amounts of punishment, uh, no pun intended. Um, it's, it's tremendous. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. Well, it, it, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that Hulu will wind up 
stepping in and saving these shows. Is, have you heard? Have you heard any talk about that? Or they've they've made subtle reference to it. Uh, they haven't confirmed anything because I don't think they can yet. But considering okay. considering the deal with the adult animation coming to Hulu, which we've discussed about on the previous comic talk, it wouldn't surprise me if Hulu is where these land. Um, but. Nothing is anywhere near official yet. They probably have a lot of legal stuff to work out since sure. uh, Netflix technically, I think, has uh, at least a year or two uh, after canceling these shows where they say that these characters cannot show up elsewhere. But I'm sure if they throw enough money Netflix's way, uh, they might be able to get around that. So, Well, I hope so because, I mean, my feeling is that all of those shows – Still have stories to tell. Oh, yeah. Luke Cage, especially. I mean, the way that the season two of that show ended. Again, with I'm not going to spoil anything. I, Iron Fist uh, season two that ended spectacularly. Say it again. Iron Fist season two ended spectacularly. So, so uh, let me ask you. So you watched Iron Fist season two? I did. Yes. And without spoiling it for Murd, mm-hmm. I thought the show improved in leaps and bounds. Yes. Um, in the second season, I would agree with you. And I was really, you know, stoked for hoping for uh, to continue that story. So I, I again, and, and I, I hope we see that. Um, plus, I'm such a huge fan of of the actress who portrays, uh, well, both of them, Misty Knight and Colleen Wing. I want them to have their own show as Daughters of the Dragon, basically. Yep. Um, I doubt that's going to happen anytime soon, but you know, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed the second season of Iron Fist. It was very, very good. Yeah, especially the way it ended, uh, very much going into the territory of. What uh, Fraction and Brubaker had set had set forward. Well, that, that's and that's yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's why I'm so excited. Ian is that okay? Now they're going into that aspect of Iron Fist's publication history, yeah. which for me is some of the strongest stories the characters ever uh, been part of. Yep. So, um, I'm really excited. I, I I hope they bring all this stuff back. I mean, we still have a season of Jessica Jones to enjoy when that debuts later in the year. Yep. Um, but one thing I always find interesting though. It seems like there's a conscious decision to not have these characters really interact with the rest of the MCU, even though they're part of it. Um, do you know anything about that in terms of media talk or, or simple politics? Uh, I from from what I from what have I have learned and from what has been said, Marvel Television is one thing and Marvel Cinematic is another thing, um, and Marvel Television still falls under the reign of Ike Perlmutter. While Marvel Cinematic runs under Kevin Feige, um, wait, Perlmutter is still around. Perlmutter is still around. Yes, uh, I didn't know that. Perlmutter, oh. Perlmutter does not have a a day to day say. However, he still is in his name is still on there. Let's put it, let's put it that way. Le, uh, and Chris wrong, isn't he associated with the near destruction of the company? Uh yes, and <laughs> and, and and yet he still has money. And that's really all it takes. He's still an executive at Marvel. That much has not changed. When they were purchased by Disney, he went along with them. And, okay, I didn't know that. All yep. right. And, uh, and that, was, that was one of the main points of frustration for, te- for Kevin Feige and why Cinematic split so heavily from TV because comics and TV were under Perlmutter and Cinematic is under Feige. And Feige can do whatever he wants because he's the moneymaker. TV... Not so much. It, it makes money, sure, but nowhere near what Cinematic is doing for for Marvel. Well, how, how could it? That that's that you can't. That's not even a fair comparison. Exactly. I mean, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. All right. I I didn't realize that. Thank you for that political insight. Yeah. Um, 
And because, for example, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I've dropped off of, I haven't watched that show in quite some time, even though I enjoyed it. I just, again, it, it, as I get older, I just have less and less time to watch television. Right. Um, that, that'll probably change when, you know, I'm older still and my kids are out of the house. <laughs> um, isn't it strange how, you know, as you get older and decay, then you get more freedom, supposedly? But anyway, um, have, have you watched that? Is anybody? I don't want to be keeping up with that show. Uh, Agents of Shield. I'm very, very far behind on. Uh, but uh, a Marvel, a, a technically a Marvel show that I can touch on, that I am up to date on, which I'm actually pretty sure neither of you are, is Gotham. 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 Yep. The the, the DC show? No. Go, uh, the, I'm, I'm sorry. My, what am What am I talking about? Yes. My, my Why did I say Marvel? Uh, yes. Yes. DC. That that's that that's what I've been that, that's what I've been watching of late. I've been watching Gotham of late. Uh, I haven't been watching uh, any of the Marvel shows. I need to catch up on that. I don't know why I said that. That's clearly a brain fart on my end. Ian, <laughs> take it take it from one of the premier monarchs of brain farting. You're fine, my yeah, friend. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I had it on the brain, and that's why I went there because I was thinking of uh, I was thinking of how gifted is under fox and all that um and and they also happen to have gotham but uh yeah gotham i'm caught up on and i'm freaking loving and that i can wax wax poetic on a little bit oh because i only watched maybe the half half of the first season and then i just dropped off again not because i didn't like it but just not enough time it is Um, a show that gets that got so much better once the second season uh rolled around and just continued to get better from there um in for me it captures the complete insanity of the Batman universe, um, if you all you need to get over is the fact that that Bruce Wayne by by the time this this season, which I believe is season five, rolls around, um, you know he's he's still only like seventeen or eighteen. Like if you can get over that fact and just focus on the fact that everything else is so beautifully fleshed out, yeah, that's all that matters. And their their version of the Joker. Which they're not even allowed to call the Joker because of DC's politics. Um, huh. They they've had two versions of the Joker on the show, uh, two identical twins. Uh, huh. one, one one was named uh, uh, Jeremy, I believe, and this one's Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Cameron Cameron Moynihan is the man who portray who portrays him, and. Sorry, Jerome and Jeremiah. Jerome was the first one. Jeremiah is the current version. Jerome is closer to Scott Snyder's version of the Joker. Okay, where he has the uh, like the, the the scarring on the mouth, and, right, right, and he's a little bit more sadistic. When we get to to Jeremiah, Jeremiah is more of a killing joke. Oh wow, Joker, which is a, a lot more reserved and yet menacing and maniacal. And in the most recent episode of the show. Uh, it's in its final season, so they're they're definitely very much in their end game. Right, this, but I heard that. Okay, this entire season is is essentially no man's land. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, they're cut off. Uh, Gotham is completely cut off from the rest of the world. All of their bridges have been destroyed, and this is where we're being left left off. And the most recent episode that aired had Jeremiah create a plot in which he found individuals that looked enough like Bruce Wayne's parents where he was able to surgically alter them and then plant Bruce in a scenario where he's stuck in the mansion with these two people who look just like his parents and a brainwashed by Mad Hatter, Alfred, 
Oh, jeez. And there's bombs all around the mansion. So, when, again, I only watched part of the first season. The kid, let's say he was 12 yeah. in the first season. Is it the same actor growing up? Yes, it is the same actor. And okay. David Matzukas is his name, and he has just gotten better and better as the show has gone forward. Now, is Donald Logue still in the show? Yes, he is. All right, great, great character actor. Yep, Harvey Bullock. So, his Harvey Bullock is, is fantastic. Uh, ben McKenzie's James Gordon just gets better and better. And uh, their Oswald, their Penguin, and their Riddler, and their and well, their, the Penguin I remember because he was such a he was such a prominent character in that yeah, first season. Definitely. Um, now, do you think the show will end with Bruce becoming Batman? I think it, it will. I don't think we're going to get a Smallville scenario where we only see the cow, you know, you know, the cow for yeah. two seconds and then it goes away. We're either going to see him become Batman or we're not. Um, okay. But honestly, I'd be perfectly okay with not because the Bruce we're presented with here is enough of what the prototype for Batman is where I'm perfectly okay with where we are. Okay. Yeah. Well, again, maybe in my retirement, <laughs> I'll find the time to watch a lot of these shows because um, I would love to. I, I mean, I, all the shows I've mentioned, I enjoyed all of them. It's just yeah. a matter of, man, it's it's hard to fit it all in. Yep. So, uh, yeah. All right. That's a great, great testimonial, my friend, because I, 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 I Dropped off of Gotham years ago now, so I'm glad to hear that that you're enjoying it. And uh, and yet again, DC, not Marvel. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh come on! Now. I know the other the other and Netflix. Sh- no, sorry, go, go ahead, ahead, sir. No, no, go ahead. Uh, the the other the other Netflix show that I've been watching is The Umbrella Academy. And I've heard good things about that too. Superb, and one of the best soundtracks for a television show I've experienced in recent memory. Uh, just they. They do make some changes from the books to the uh, to, to the screen, but mm-hmm. that's to be expected. And but the the cast is is terrific. Ellen Page uh, as oh, a wa- great actress. Oh yeah, and she's perfect as the white violin. Um, completely gets that character down beautifully. They take characters from the second volume of Umbrella Academy and introduce them a little bit earlier. Uh, these these two uh, mercenaries called uh, Cha Cha and Hazel. And Cha Cha mm-hmm. is played by Mary J. Blige. Oh wow! Yeah, and they're amazing. Uh, just every everything about the show feels like the comic, and yet you know they, they make some changes here and there because they have to. Um, and the story they're telling feels a lot more streamlined than what than what we got in the in the comic book in some ways. See, I'll have to, I've never read that book, so I have to read the books first before I try watching that show. Yeah, um, I'd say so. That that's a good way to go. It. Yeah. But overall, I'm very pleased with what with what's been brought forward, and uh, they're they're almost guaranteed to be renewing this for a second season. Uh, the, this is a ten season first first se- uh, sorry ten episode first season, and it's start to finish. I enjoyed every single minute of it. It was it was spectacular. Oh, tremendous! By the way, before I forget, I wanted to thank you because due to your recommendation, I read the first issue of 1975. Ah, <laughs> yes, uh, rendered in Arabic rather than Roman numerals. <laughs> exactly, and uh, man, I ate that up. Ooh, I, I thought you might, Chris. Yeah, um, that was a, that was a nomination by you, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Well, well, the, yeah. the main character was for best new yeah. hero. Um, Joe Casey's the scribe on that, and uh, what I loved about the book—I mean, obviously, it has that '70s feel—but but the fr- narrative framing device of the disc jockey slash boyfriend kind of taking through the story and the songs they're selecting. I mean, it just, it had that feel that was so visceral for that 
time period. I, and, and plus, it's got the wacky, you know, undead ninjas and all the zaniness going on. Um, and she's got like her enchanted tire iron and uh, really fun. Like, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, and, you know, I'll, I'll definitely hunt down subsequent issues. But good pick, my friend. Oh. Very good pick. How'd you like it, Chris? Yeah. I hope you're firing up your uh, Apple Music and uh, listening to some of those uh, soundtrack selections. At the well, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I go back to, you know, why do I love, you know, Reservoir Dogs so much? It's because they had that sounds of the 70s music throughout the film. I mean, God. Yeah. And I, I love that music. Go ahead. Excellent soundtracks for comic book related uh, media, you know, between uh, Ian's uh, praise for the Umbrella Academy and what we're talking about uh, for 1975 here. Um, I will say I'm one of the shows I'm trying to keep up with. Uh, well, I'm trying to keep abreast of most of the uh, Arrowverse shows. Or, mm. uh, I should probably say the CW uh, DC comics based ones, since they're not all in the same universe. I don't think uh, well, Supergirl is technically the parallel Earth of Earth 38, and uh, who knows where Black Lightning takes place. <laughs> Uh, but I was going to give the praise to Black Lightning for uh, continuing to have um, the, the best uh, soundtrack of any superhero show on network television. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a great mix of music from a variety of decades, including some 70s soul grooves. Oh. Well, Black Lightning is going to be one of my summer viewing projects because uh, you and Shane so highly touted the first season. Mm. Oh, um, don't forget Peter the Rios Rios. He was also very fond of the first season. <laughs> oh, glorious co-founder. Um, so that's what I'm going to watch this summer because uh, you know I've, I can certainly at least get, get through the first season. Because um, when people uh, – when August personages like yourselves you know, soundly recommend a show, you know, automatically have to check it out. And, uh, and speaking of uh, soundtracks and uh, decades. <laughs> A late 60s selection. <laughs> Air harp. Little, little extra I'm tonight. i my Air Glockenspiel here now. I never get to do that. <laughs> It is. Ian, that was a magnificent transition, my friend. Well done. I, I sometimes you guys just make it easy. It is. Uh, <laughs> you are a sultan of the segue, Ian. <laughs> Swing batter. It is uh, time once again, ladies and gentlemen, for Model the Murd, and it's not even our penultimate. It is our current final submission for Model the Murd. So please get your submissions in. For Muddle the Murd. Uh, Murd, how, where where will they be submitting their submissions to, sir? Uh, you can send them to comicgeekspeak at gmail.com and put Muddle the Murd in the subject line. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, please make sure that uh, one question is pre-1970, one is 1972-2000, and one is 2000-present. One should be DC, one should be Marvel, and one should be independent. And don't be multiple part, and don't be too snarky about it. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect summation of the rules. Ian Jamie would be proud. Here, Indeed. Here. Well, th- this particular sub- submission is from listener Ryan Howard. And uh, he has this to say before his actual questions. Greetings, geeks. This is Ryan Howard from the Digital Men Audio Podcast. And I've returned once again to try to muddle the murd. Maybe this time my questions will be yoink resistant. <laughs> <laughs> we shall see, Ryan. We shall see. 
And if you do successfully muddle me, it'll be my pleasure to mail to you your prize, uh, which is a uh, Katie Cook uh, drawing, or a, a full-color convention sketch, I believe, of uh, Betty Page. Wow. Excellent. Oh. That's a good one. Well, this one uh, starts off with a uh, pre-1970 DC question. Oh, my. Before the 1943 Batman movie serials, Alfred was clean-shaven and overweight, but following the serial, his appearance was changed to reflect the actor who portrayed him. What was the name of the actor who portrayed Alfred in that serial? Hmm. <sighs> Hate to seem petty, but I'm not sure if this should actually count. Because hmm. it's it, it's based on external media. You know, it's not based on actual comic books. Uh, right. Yeah, unless the name is was used or factored into an actual comic book story, this might be out of bounds. Well, on the bright side, he actually asked a second DC pre-1970 question, if that was the case. Oh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Good thinking, Ryan. Good well, thinking. just for our, our edification, what's the name of the actor? Uh, the answer to that would be William Austin. Okay. I would not have come up with that. But he makes a good historical link there to why they changed the appearance of Alfred. That is true. That so, is true. He I was did, kind of hoping for an Earth 2, Earth 1 question as to what uh, Alfred's original surname was. It was hmm. not Pennyworth. It was actually Beagle. Interesting. Huh. I did not know that. I just got, I just got a chill right up my spine. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did have a backup. And uh, that question is as follows. In February of 1940, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster produced a short comic for a mainstream publication where Superman ended World War II in two pages. Which <laughs> magazine was this published in? Huh. Which magazine? Good question. Yes, that is. And that is absolutely legitimate comics. Um, hmm. Action would be a little bit too obvious. I don't think it would have been Superman either, but I'm trying to think what other comics. <sighs> hmm. um, I'm going to say more fun comics. Uh, Chris, any idea? World's Finest? Look Magazine. Oh, oh wow. Good one. Look. You got it right. <laughs> Well, that's <laughs> <laughs> you got it wrong. Good for yep. Good for him to say describe it as publication too, because it's mm -hmm. not a true comic book. But as long as it was a comic story, it doesn't matter if it was appearing in a, a standard comic magazine; it still counts. That is true. All right, his official question two will be Marvel nineteen seventy to two thousand in Punisher's first solo miniseries in nineteen eighty six. What was the name of the organization that helped Frank Castle escape? from Rikers Island and funded oh. his war on crime. I have never read this. I've never been much of a Punisher fan. Oh. Uh, okay, Chris, uh, <laughs> I'll certainly give you uh, second pickings of this, but uh, uh, this is the classic uh, Mike Zeck uh, drawn miniseries. Stephen Grant was the writer. It's excellent. Yeah. Especially the, especially the opening issues when he's in prison. What the hell was the name of that group? It was like a cl typical like '80s like you know vigilante organization sounding name. <laughs> okay. Dang it! Uh, I'm gonna take a wild guess, Ian. Uh, the front or 
Something like that. No, you're a little bit close. Uh, Murd, what's your official answer? Um, I was going to say the Sons of Justice. Nope. Uh, Chris was right on it being only two words, and one of them being the. Uh, the Trust. The Trust. That's the right. Trust. <laughs> okay. Well, darn. Murd, you're on dangerous ground here, my friend. You're well on your way to a Katie Cook Betty Page, my friend. <laughs> Yeah. I think this is Ryan's like third attempt too, so it's this is a long time in coming. He may have gotten you here because this is yet another question that I think uh, Chris would know the answer to, but I'm not quite sure you do, Murd. But we shall see. This is Independent um, 2000, the present. In Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, the fade out. Oh, uh, masterpiece. Screen Absolute masterpiece. <laughs> screenwriter Charlie Parrish is unable to write and has to use his blacklisted friend Gill as a ghostwriter for his scripts. Why is Charlie unable to write? Dipsomania. <laughs> <laughs> an outstanding answer, but an incorrect one. Chris, do you have an answer? If I remember correctly, it's because he has PTSD from his service in World War II. You are correct, sir. PTSD cool. from World War II. However, Chris got it, not Murd. So you, sir, have been muddled. So I have been. So congratulations, Ryan Howard. You sent this one over the fences. And your victory is all the sweeter because in order to send you your Katie Cook image, I first have to drive all the way out to the CTS studio, <laughs> where I am currently not, but where the drawing currently is, <laughs> to pick it up and then put it in the U.S. mail. <laughs> we Leave it to Ryan Howard to hit a home run. Yep, I know. I know. That's <laughs> Referring, well, of course, to the uh, recently retired Philadelphia Philly of the same name. No relation, I assume. I assume not. <laughs> well, I, I want to give him kudos for selecting the fade out. That, that's I've praised that book, you know, endlessly on the air. It's for me one of the best things that the classic team of Rubik and Phillips has ever done. Um, that, that's ah, oh, it's so good. If you love nineteen forties noir. Throw in some Hollywood land type feel. You're going to eat that book right up. It's amazing. And the, I think they're working on a bit of a sequel to it as well, if I remember correctly. So. Very good. Good questions. Yes, yes they were. Yes, indeed. Well, that's that on the muddling. What else we got, well, gentlemen? Hopefully people send in more questions because I so thoroughly relish these muddle the merge interludes <laughs> we have. So. Yes. And you, I think this time you were less muddled than I was, Chris. Yeah, I should remember the trust. That was that was a good question. <laughs> uh, you guys have to send man. me more more muddled the merge so I can have more segues. Uh, it, well, I got to tell you something, Ian. There's an art to the segue, and uh, you, you are a, a maestro, sir. <laughs> uh, it's one of my favorite things to do in this world. <laughs> a man has to dream. Mm -hmm. Terrific. What else you got, brothers? Uh, trying yeah. to think. Uh, not... Southern Bastards and uh, Muddle the Murder were the only things I was bringing to the table this time around. Another thing I want, I, I can bring up a couple other comic-related items. Sure. Um, Go ahead. I got from Tomorrow's in my last shipment, so about a month ago, uh, and I, you know, I always praise Tomorrow's whenever I can. This is especially fascinating publication. It's one of their sort of their one-shot, you know, bound publications. It's Kirby and Lee Stuff Said. The complex genesis of the Marvel Universe, it's creator's own words. 
This is Jack Kirby Collector number 75. So this is like a fascinating work uh, like the, of like investigative reporting in a sense because uh, I think it's – yeah, it's, I'm sure it's John Morrow who was involved. Yeah, it's John Morrow. He, he's the one who researched, wrote, and edited the book. Um, basically, he's collected all of these primary sources, both quotes and, and visuals to try to break down from the inception of the Marvel Universe – forward who basically did what and as we we did our you know our kirby spotlights a couple years ago we've talked about this many times on the air you know the ongoing controversy about who deserves more credit so to speak when it comes to these crow creations and what morrow's done here I mean, this must have been an exhaustive uh bit of research he did here he just takes you the entire history of their partnership throughout the 1960s, and he and he talks about influences, and, and it's just exhaustive, and I mean that in the best possible way. And he has quotes from each man talking about uh, their perspectives on various issues, and, it's, and you know he, he's got you know primary sources of like typed scripts, pay stubs. Wow. I mean, it's amazing. And he's just taking you through, you know, like who said what when it, and who did what when it came to these creations. It's absolutely fascinating. I haven't read through it in detail. I've, I've just sort of skimmed it initially. Um, but if, if you're a fan of the history, especially of the, the Lee Kirby controversy, you got to pick this book up. It's it's first of all, it's beautifully laid out. I mean, Marv did a wonderful job in terms of the layout and with the people whoever he worked with on it. But just in terms of the sheer depth. I mean, this is a feast, and I highly recommend it. It sounds so it sounds fantastic. Called, yeah, it's called Stuff Said. <laughs> so, I also wanted to talk. I just read uh, the past couple of days the latest issues of Captain America and the Black Panther by Todd Nehisi Coates. Let me tell you, and I, I've been reading about Coates' run on Black Panther since the beginning, but the story he's doing now, and I, I like that Marvel seems to be giving a lot of room on it. He's basically telling an epic cosmic saga about. T'Challa seemingly stranded in this future where Wakandans, you know, astronauts have have colonized much of the known galaxy and created like this, essentially this this uh, totalitarian empire, which is ruled by a version of Eric Killmonger, um, and T'Challa is part of a slave rebellion where the slaves have no memories of who they are because part of what this Wakanda interstellar empire has done is kind of like stolen people's identities and their knowledge and made a part of sort of their methods of control of, the, of this of this society. And it's all about how this version of T'Challa, who seem it may actually be the T'Challa we know, it's that's still sort of being played out, which is part of the fun. Um, how they're trying to realize who these people are and how. The T'Challa that that is this slave who's now part of this rebellion seems to be like this sort of messianic figure, who may be the actual real Black Panther. Um, it is gripping, uh, just how Coates has laid out this whole universe and the politics behind it. the story. Is still unfolds, been going on now for quite some time. I am devouring it. It's so well done. Um, it's just a, it's just an interesting new take on those, just sort of the whole world of the Black Panther, hmm. and I, I can't recommend it enough. And Coach is also writing the new latest volume of Captain America with, with striking covers by Alex Ross, and I'm also really uh, digging in that storyline because um, he's really it's well versed in the history of Captain America, and you know he's bringing back certain characters from the Brubaker run, for example. I won't spoil it, but 
you know, it, it returns to one of the classic themes, which is is Steve Rogers a symbol of and and sort of minion of the U.S. government, or really a, a symbol of the American dream and of the of the of the American people and of the country? And again, we find him in a situation where. And there's also the fallout from Hydra and, and all that story when you know the, the doppelganger is running around with his face and so forth. Um, but it, it, it's it's Steve trying to sort of recapture his sense of self and his faith, and how he's also now being targeted by the government for a crime he's being that's being pinned on him. I won't go into what that's about, uh, but it, it, it's so well done. And again, Coates' grasp of the characters, their history, their interpersonal relationships is spot on. And you know, I talked before about you know, I'm getting more and more into Marvel Unlimited. But caveat, books like this, I'm not waiting for. I'm not waiting for the damn digital release six months later. I want to read them as soon as they come out because they're that good. So, two of the titles I really want to praise. Now, now Adam Kubert, Adam Kubert's doing the art on uh, on, on the latest issue. It's, it's so stunning. Wow. Oh, he boy. did the latest issue. I, I just read it uh, yesterday. That's that. Okay, now that really has me intrigued. I mean, I I love Coates' writing to begin with, but uh, to have uh, Adam Kubert back on Captain America for the first time in years that makes me very yeah, intrigued. And, and honestly, even I don't know if he's doing subsequent issues. I can't answer that off the top of my head. Got but it. Um, I'm sure you could check that out. But yeah, the, his artwork is, is as good as ever. It, according to Marvel, he did issue seven. So I'm I'm hoping that means he's doing subsequent issues in this arc. But uh, who knows? Yeah, no, it's 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 those are two titles I highly recommend if you, if you're a Marvel fan. Um, that they're they're both the, just the top of their game and they're the same writer and, he, and he's Coates is magnificent. Excellent. Um, I, I have not, nothing bad to say about his his scripting. And uh, speaking of Captain America, in the real life, Captain America was an absolute gentleman at the Academy Awards. Just bringing it back to that for a second. Uh, one of my favorite moments of the entire uh, uh, show was uh, when he uh, he stood up and helped Regina King onto the stage uh, as she had a very flowy dress and she was about mm. to trip on herself. But uh, Chris Evans got up, helped her onto the stage, and sat right back down like the gentleman that he is and the true Captain America that he is. <laughs> Well, let me tell you, if you Evans is a hell of an actor. If you, I mean, he's done a lot of work that people may not be as familiar with. Um, I'm not even talking about the Human Torch, which was, which he was also great at. But um, the guy has range and he's got chops. So I'm looking forward to his career as it unfolds after mm. uh, he puts down the shield. Mm. So as am I. But kind of hoping he directs a Marvel movie. To be honest, like even if he's no longer playing the role of Captain America. I'd love to see what he'd be able to do behind the camera. Well, I think I think I'd heard an interview interviews that he was interested in directing. Yeah. So, well, look, um, to go back to the MCU for a moment, uh, his portrayal of Steve Rogers is so sublime. Uh, and, you know, it, again, you got whoever the casting in these films, for the most part, is so spot on and watching him play out play that character and and that character develop through the various appearances in his own films and the avengers movies even like the funny spider-man stuff he did like when he's doing the public service announcements for detention hall and i mean he just he so has steve rogers down the innate dignity of the character the integrity the decency um but also like you know there's that 
He's he's not like he's not a yes man like, and they showed that in Civil War, for example, and that's so important to Steve Rogers too. That he, he can't forget that he is not a lackey. He's not obsequious. He's not a minion of the government. Um, so I, I, I've he's been one of of all the characters they portrayed so well. He's one of my favorite performances out of all of those, you know, screen renderings. Uh, I'm gonna miss miss him when, whenever he exits that that portrayal. So well, of course, we don't know what's gonna happen in the next Avengers film. So. Uh, we'll see. I Has he not announced that he's uh, retiring as Captain America pretty darn soon, though? I, I don't know. Ian, have you heard anything? He's he's said he he's done, but he also said he could possibly do more. So who the hell knows? <laughs> <laughs> so many, so, and, and on uh, the same thing's been said of uh, of Thor as well. That Hemsworth said he was done, and then he had so much fun on Ragnarok that he may very well be willing to come back for another one. So I think it completely depends on contract, uh, what the, where their career is leading them, and uh, and what's up next. Um, I will say though that. Uh, it's it's actually happening the day after we're recording this, so we won't be able to touch on it until our next comic talk. But apparently, a new trailer for Dark Phoenix is coming out uh, tomorrow. So, we'll oh, when is that film debuting? Uh, that comes out on June seventh. Uh, so that that's okay. Uh, yep, right. that's. Uh, I, I hope it's good, but I who's direct who's directing it, Ian? It's a first time director. It's the directorial debut of Simon Kinberg. Okay, uh, Simon Kinberg was the uh, producer. Of a bunch of the X Men films, but he's never directed, and that well kind of has me worried. Uh, okay, but I, I'm I'm excited for this, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because I'd almost forgotten about that. Um, because they so butchered that in X Men Three mm-hmm. that I'm hoping they'll do, you know, both the cosmic grandeur and the the sheer humanity and pathos of that story justice. Yeah. Uh, We'll see. Uh, I, I mean, prepare to be disappointed. Well, <laughs> I love when Murd gets cynical. It's fantastic. Um, well, I'm kind of well, in, I'm kind of in Murd's boat, to be entirely honest with you. I mean, this this movie has been delayed a long time. Well, that's never a good sign, usually. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, you Jackman's not in it, right? Mm, from what we know, he is not. Uh, All right, so that that's a negative right off the bat. Yeah. But um, we'll see. I mean, I'm, I'll certainly go see it. We'll review it on the air. Oh, sure. Um, uh, it's 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 the younger characters they introduced in the, in the new reality, right? The, yes, right, right. It's set okay. in the nineteen nineties. Yeah. Okay. Which hopefully means there's at least a little bit more jubilee because that is still the thing that that is my biggest pet peeve about apocalypse <laughs> is that you introduce a ju- jubilee like that, you cut the one scene that she's supposed to be amazing in, which is the mall scene, which I still think is better than the entire movie, and. You just completely underuse her for like the fourth time because I feel like they've introduced Jubilee in every single one of these movies yeah, in one way or another. Yeah. I don't think they've even mentioned her name on screen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you may be now right is, about that, Murd. Is McAvoy playing Xavier in this film? Yes, he is. Oh, yeah. that's good. He's a great actor. Every every actor is returning for this uh, that that played them previously in the others. Uh, so Evan Peters is back as Quicksilver, uh, Ty Sheridan as Cyclops. Uh, Nicholas Holt as Beast, James McAvoy as uh, Xavier, Jennifer Lawrence for her definitely her last time as Mystique because she has better. Oh, things she to is do. returning. Okay, she is yes, uh, and uh, Sophie Turner as Phoenix, mm-hmm. along with Michael Fassbender as Magneto. Right. Well, Fassbender is great. Um, all right. Hey, I'm I'm definitely going to give it a shot. You know, it's funny because as you bring up this topic, one of my favorite X Men films is Days of Future Past. Same, same here. 
which I think is superb. And now Brian Singer directed that. Yes. And did he direct Apocalypse too? Mm, I think he did. Uh, I'll have to double check that. Yeah, because I was so disappointed by that film because I'm a huge fan of Oscar Isaac. Mm-hmm. And I thought he was just wasted in that movie. I agree with uh, you. Basically. Mm-hmm. And that film was just so flat in comparison to Days of Future Past, which yeah. had such heart to it. It was such a great uh, narrative. Um, yeah. But of course, yeah. Days of Future Past also had a key role with both Patrick Stewart and Hugh Jackman, sure. which ele- elevated that film for me. Um, but I don't know. Uh, Brian Singer did indeed uh, direct Apocalypse. Uh, Brian Singer is also a name that you probably will not be hearing much from. In the- well, uh, it's funny you mention that because I've always admired his work. Yeah. What the hell happened on Bohemian Rhapsody? Uh, yeah, it, it, uh, there have been rumors about Brian Singer's uh, sexual proclivities for years, and it finally caught up to him. Let's just put it that way. And uh, okay, I, I uh, we don't want a rumor monger because we don't really know. But, yeah, um, essentially. Also, he apparently was a horror to work with on the set, and got into fights with Rami Malek on a regular basis, and that basically led to him being removed from the project. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that because I've admired. I mean, some of his films quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, Rami Malek was amazing in that movie. My God. <laughs> he's he's easily the best part because I, I yeah. To, to be 100% honest with you, the rest of it felt like the the biopic that Walk Hard makes fun of. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, I love Queen, and, uh, you know, it was great seeing the music, hearing the music and the performances. Sure. And, and, uh, but you're right. I mean, it was, it was pretty much, you know, paint-by-numbers, typical biopic. But I so love the subject matter, and his performance was so heartfelt. Um, and even, you know, as always, they change things around and make up things that didn't happen and all that, but you know, it it was the music, which is for me is just timeless and his performance really elevated that, that movie. And I thought, I thought the guys playing the rest of the musicians were great too. Oh yeah. Um, so it it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. What what, what are you, what are you guys doing over there? You don't want none of this, Freddie. All right. You guys got anything else or or we shot our bolt? I think for the most part, the bolt has been shot. Mm, all right. Uh, uh, can I conclude us here by uh, uh, announcing uh, sure. for the first time on the podcast? I mean, it, it's been done elsewhere on the Internet, but uh, uh, the polls are now officially open for the final voting uh-huh. for the uh, Comic Geek Speak Best of 2018 Awards. Now, we, we give our uh, sincere thanks to all of you out there in CGS land who have participated in the nominations process by sending in your slates of nominees. But now those slates have been finalized. Uh, you can go to the comicforums.vanillacommunity.com and uh, go to the uh, Comics Talk Community on Topic Forum. And at the very top of that page, you will find a thread entitled The CGS Best of 2018 Awards, The Final Vote. Click on that. You will see the complete ballot of nominees for each of the 16 categories. And uh, you'll also find guidelines for submitting your ballot to vote for uh, which uh, nominee in each category you think deserves to be honored as the best of 2018 via Comic Geek Speak. Uh, So check that out and get those ballots in by uh, end of day on Sunday, March 10th. Oh, plenty of time. All right. Hope you get a good turnout, Murray, because you put a lot of work into it and it's really appreciated. No, thank you, I appreciate the listeners for doing their part in getting those votes in. We've already got, even before this nomination, this uh, announcement, uh, quite a few ballots. Uh, Excellent. Oh, terrific. Even better turnout for the voting than for the nominations. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Sounds Splendid. good to me. Sounds good to me. Uh, I-, I wanted to bring up uh, 
I, I actually re-listened in full earlier today to episode 989, which we brought up on the nomination show, the spotlight on Hawkman and Hawkgirl. Oh. And uh, I, am, I am reminded yet again of, to put it lightly, the shit show that is Hawkman's backstory. <laughs> Yeah, it's <laughs> but doesn't Peter masterfully navigate it though, Ian? Beautifully. It's, it's, it's a masterclass in spotlight episodes. <laughs> it really is. It really yeah. is. And it was wonderful hearing Jamie's voice again in any, in any Oh yes. Fashion. Always. Yep. Uh, and uh, finally, I'll bring up that uh, uh, a new episode of the Comic Timing podcast has been released for the first time in a while. Uh, just this past Sunday, I got a chance to record with uh, Mr. Raphael Suhu and uh, my good friend Chris, and uh, we went and went further into a topic that I discussed here on this very show, which is the closing of St. Mark's Comics, Ooh. and uh, uh, also going into uh, what we feel uh, is could possibly be the future of comic shops and the type that we prefer over oh, the type I that we do not. Oh, I can't wait to hear this. It's episode 195. And you can find it over at comictiming.net or on your favorite podcatcher of choice. So iTunes, Android, wherever the hell else you want to get it. Terrific, Ian. Excellent. Oh, and uh, so we also uh, give a plug to another podcast uh, as part of our extended family here, The Watchman Minute. Oh, yes. Uh, because uh, several uh, CGS geeks, including uh, Ian and myself, have made recent appearances on that podcast. Uh, it's uh, run by, uh, well, co-hosted by one of our listeners, uh, Eric Nash, uh, who uh, goes by Lucky Mustard on our forums. Uh, and um, it, it's part of the uh, Minute Movies uh, the podcasting phenomenon, which is a, a series of podcasts in which, which break down uh, well-known popular films uh, by a, a one minute of running time per episode. Like each episode breaks down in minute detail one minute of film. Um, and so Eric and his co-host Paul got uh, a few of us to participate. If you go to watchmanminute.libsyn.com, you'll find all the episodes that they've done so far posted there for your listening pleasure. Um, so if you go to uh, minute number 151, that's uh, that's the one in which I participate. Uh, then we get uh, our, as, as Chris calls him, our glorious co-founder Peter Rios uh, <laughs> on episodes 152 and 153. Shane uh, jumps in at minute number 154. And uh, Ian, you, you appeared sometime before the rest of us. Yes, I did. Uh, I was on, I believe, minutes 116, 117, and 118, if memory serves. All right. I'm continuing to scroll furiously to see if it does. <laughs> yeah, I, I was definitely on 116 and, and 118. That's what the uh, Googles tells me. So I, I'm, I'm going to assume ah. that that's correct. And yep, then, and it is. I just got there. Yep, 116, 17, and 18. Excellent. And then immediately and Brian, after me the, was What's Mike the Norris. address for that again? I'm sorry. It's watchmenminute.libsyn.com. All right. Thank you. Fantastic. All righty. Murd, we ready to roll out? All right, I'll do the Shane thing once again. Okay. We're going to get that guy back on here with us eventually. You wait and see. Yes, we Indeed. will. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send it to comicgeekspeak at gmail.com. You can send your Muddle and Murd submissions to the same place. If you'd like to leave a voicemail, you can call 267-702-6642. 
You can like us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle there is at Comic Geek Speak. You can visit thecomicforums.vanillacommunity.com, where you can not only find out how to submit your votes for the Best of 2018 Awards, but you can also leave feedback on this and many other episodes of our podcast and uh, participate in fun little discussions with your fellow CGS listeners and comic nerds at that website. Uh, we'd like to thank everyone who has donated monetarily to support the podcast in the past. Uh, we really appreciate it. The show would not be what it is today without your help. And as always, we are uniting the world's mightiest heroes, one listener at a time. 